Mike, if there's anything that I've learned over the last two, three months, it's been that I am now at the age where my answer to the question, what are the kids these days into, is just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I have no idea. Now, I've never Couldn't been like you, the bro. trendiest kid ever or anything. Like in oh, no? high school, middle school, you know, I know it might be hard to believe, but I wasn't like the up to speed all the time. Did uh, you ever get invited to the cool kids table? Uh, I invited them to my table. Sometimes they would say yes. Um, if you, you, you weren't at the cool kids table. There were cool kids at my table. There were, there were kids you, at my table that were cool. You know the cool kids table in the lunchroom. Whenever you're someone that moved, so in, in high school, whenever you moved into Van Alstine, if you were just new and you came from somewhere else and you didn't say the same crap as everyone else, or, you know, your dad didn't own the farm off the highway, like people were just automatically interested in you <laughs> because you weren't the kids they grew up with. So whenever I moved to Van Alstine in high school, which I'm from South Arlington, way different culture. Um, Moved to Van Alstine, eighth grade, and started there ninth grade. Uh, yeah, I got automatic invite to the, to the wow. cool kids table. And I could ball in, eight, in ninth grade. I was a very good basketball player. Now, so The obvious follow-up question is, this is like comparing eras in basketball. How cool is the cool kids table in Van Alstine? Like if you compared it to like the band kids table at Louisville High School, assuming, hypothetically speaking, that that's where I sat at lunch. <laughs> no, I, that's definitely where you sat. Uh, it's probably about the same, like on par, right? If it's if you're dropping twenty in the league in 1992, like what is that now type deal? Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it probably wasn't very cool. It was just like the quarterback and the other guy that plays sports and <laughs> the girl that runs track, and then like any new kid that doesn't wear Wranglers and doesn't have a truck. Uh, and is somewhat interesting of a person, like that's what it was. So it wasn't very cool. Like cool as an adjective, probably wouldn't apply. But you know, I made a lot of friends, and uh, some of them I still talk to. Majority of them don't because they decided to stay there, <laughs> and I, I outgrew that place. But you know, I told them the ceiling is the roof. Yeah, they were like, "What does that even mm-hmm. mean?" You're like, "That's why we aren't friends." Mm-hmm. Because you yep, don't know. That's why. That's why we aren't for, for everybody's. Uh, if you're watching you on the Maps is. YouTube channel, you'll see anytime I get a little too close to the microphone, it just <laughs> magically appears. Uh, I really am in the Alps or whatever with Dirk on location, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, this microphone pin. is just, the invisibility cloak is just blowing in the wind, and so it just keeps appearing and, and disappearing and reappearing. Professional broadcaster. Yep, that's me. Robert Karala. That is uh, me. Yeah, uh, so, so Mike, like it's like building. I think it's exactly at the halfway point, right? Mavs are nineteen and seventeen. Yeah, we, uh, yeah that would be thirty-six. Yeah, thirty-six in the can, thirty-six still to go. I think, like it. mathematically speaking, the season is more than halfway over because it's like three months ish, oh and then God. only about yeah. two to go. So, um, 
you're gonna well, we smash. got 20, 20 games, twenty games the next like four weeks, and then like uh, I guess that would be sixteen the next one, right? Yeah, it's thirty six games in the next like sixty five days, I think sixty six oh, days. God. So it's gonna be a whole lot oh. of basketball, which is a good thing that you and I like it because it's pretty much what we're gonna be doing. Um, 55% of our nights for the next three months. So I love it so much. I yeah. can watch it every day. Yeah. I'm gonna just going to have to keep watching the I still love this game commercial like every morning mm-hmm. before I get out of bed. Yeah. It's the only thing that's keeping me going. It's my Who's love the, for the old game. guy? I feel bad I don't remember his name. The old guy that does the basketball teaches us something pretty oh, yeah. fundamental. Yeah. Who is that guy? Uh, I know he's a great that, baller. That, is that Bill Bradley? That's not Bill Bradley. That's is Bill. It? I think it's Bill Bradley. Is it? I'm just going to say, yeah, I'm just going into it. But yeah, yeah. that spot is, that is an evergreen spot. Somehow they've used it for 17 straight seasons <laughs> in all arenas. And it, it, it slaps every time, dude. Automatic. Yeah, but I, I feel it every time. Every time I feel it in my heart, I'm like, damn, it does. Mm. Bill's right. Basketball Did, does teach us how to work together and togetherness and that's something pretty fundamental about respect it's, it's about respect yeah um, teamwork that last home game did kind of feel like a home game like a real man you know it was, it was mav spurs and so you know it's obviously a little a little extra tense there were spurs fans there i'm like whoa that's mm-hmm. weird um but there were a lot of people there and it was it was pretty i mean not normal but you know it was pretty normal-ish you you were trying to fight all the Spurs fans. I was. I was just having a I was just having a good time because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. That was a little emotional. Um, it was you know 364 day anniversary of the last time we were there, and it was normal uh, when Boban ended the NBA single handedly. But there were real fans in there. Not that the first responders or whoever was in there aren't real fans. There was just like a limited capacity. Of people that had been given tickets, bunch right? of fake fan doctors and nurses is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying doctors can't like sports; they don't get it. Um, but there were five thousand people that paid their hard-earned money, driving buses or you know delivering pizzas or doing your taxes. I've earned this money. I would like to pay money to come to your your event. They paid it out of their pocket, and they were there, and they were loud, and. Um, it was almost exactly the one year anniversary, the closest thing that we were going to get to a home game of a one year anniversary of since March 11th. And it was just, man, beginning of that game, I got a little, I got a little emotional. I got a little in my feels because it was just loud. It was loud. Like the fans were into it. You could tell the players were in a really good mood coming off the all-star break. They were all vibing, having fun, doing their jokes. And we've been playing good basketball and we were 11 and three, um, or 11 and 10, 10 and three heading into that game in the last no, it was, 13, it was eleven and one. three, Mike. It was eleven and three. Was it? Yep. But we won that game. Well, into this oh, Spurs okay? game, yeah, ten and three. But yeah. yeah, yeah, ten and three, and then we won the Spurs game to get to eleven and three, and we we're playing really good basketball. And despite you know the world kicking you in the shorts every single day, it kind of felt like we were getting close to what we all signed up for, um, and why <laughs> we do this job. Um, and not that the games before that weren't fun or just didn't have the same feeling. It just kind of feels like. I don't know. You're doing a, you're running a circus on the edge of town, and everybody got laid off. Is kind of what it feels like, whenever you're in there the first couple months of the season, right? Um, you're like, please come watch our games, and I know there's way more important things happening in your life. Um, but we're getting there, man. I think that was a very normal 
um, nostalgic feeling I had at the beginning of that Spurs game. And you look down at the Spurs and you love playing against the Spurs and you know, DeRozan's doing his thing and Patty Mills is going off and you're like, God, I hate those guys. Go away. And then, you know, we, we kick them straight in the head in the, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And I was like, man, this is, I, you almost forget why you do this. Uh, and that was, that was fun, man. That was, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and that, that was also kind of like game. the, I don't even know. I don't know how to say this. A prime example of a good Ninja team Turtle. game in March, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah. Good yeah. teams win that, that game where it's mm-hmm. like the other team is probably playing better. Might not mm-hmm. be better, but they're certainly playing better that night. They're ahead. You're just kind of like, Ugh, fine. Yep. And then you just push the talent button and uh, you engage your all-stars and, and that's that's all they wrote. You know, and the Mavs ended yeah, up winning that, that game was... by double digits. They were down like five to eight the whole first half. And then they yeah. just managed to win uh, because they just out-talented those guys at the end of the game. That was that kind was of like watching the basically choose your Mavs game from between 2002 to like 2011 that was a that was a old time Mavs feeling game too, just because they just they just won in the end. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was a drag you out to the deep end game where you know, okay, y'all are gonna get in it or stay in it or jump up to maybe six or eight points whenever Patty Mills spazzes out and hits like three threes in a row and steals like two passes and does his thing. And then, man, fourth quarter it was like, okay, we've had enough of you. We've had enough of you. Y'all don't have y'all aren't playing a center that can score in any way. We're a deeper roster. We got a better starting five, and we're done with it. And coming out of the All-Star break, to see that and not just let it happen to you and just kind of go, oh, man, our legs aren't underneath us yet, or, you know, whatever. Whatever your uh, your preamble is to making excuses was not to be seen. Um, and that was awesome, man. And that was that was some immaculate vibes for sure, um, as that's the only kind we like. But then 24 hours right later, now, they were ruined. They were ruined. <laughs> no. It's the worst day of our lives. We're at a crossroads. I don't, I don't consider. I don't consider that ruined, man. I mean, if you have the two players that have made All Star teams on your team in their career not playing, I'm like, that's kind of what's going to happen. Um, I didn't expect it to happen first back to back, coming off a seven, six or seven day rest for some guys. But you know, if we need to um, hit a hit a pause on our stars and let them get a little rest so we can be a better playoff team. You know, my take on that, like, let's do it. Um, and we'll get into something a little bit later about teams that sprint through the first half anyway. And I don't know if that's a good idea anymore. And it could be proven wrong because this shortened of a season just might not matter if you're sprinting through it or not, but got some, got some data there. We're also going to talk about the last 15 games and what's exactly happened as the Mavs are 11 and four, um, because it is interesting to me whenever something is working or isn't working, like I'm going to dig into it and find out why I'm going to, I'm going to know why. <laughs> um, and honestly, we haven't done as many of these get togethers this season because I mean, I don't like speaking out of my butt about ideas about the NBA, right? If, if you're missing six, you know, you're three through nine on your roster for an extended period of time and nobody's healthy and KP's not back yet or whatever the reason is like you can't draw any conclusions and any of your frustrations are just momentary so I don't like speaking on things whenever there's not data to back any of it up but now we've been healthy for about 20 games um, and I think we kind of can feel what this team is 
Um, and it is early enough to me where it's, it can change. It can't, you can't build on it or some of it can go away or, you know, got a trade deadline in 13 days that can change a lot. But, um, last 15 games is kind of exactly what I wanted to dig into on this, uh, on this stimulus Friday and figure out exactly what's, what's going on with this team, because it does feel a lot like, I mean, you mentioned it 2000, to or 2002 to 2011 Mavs, where I don't know exactly how they're winning every game, but they keep getting into clutch situations and it keeps working out. And I got to know. I got to figure it out. I got to figure out what's happening. I got I to gotta have some rules at this point after about 20 games of healthy basketball. So I'm going to look up something for two seconds here um, that Bob Sturm was asking me about this. That is uh, a, couple, oh my God, what a flex. Yeah, Sports Sturm is asking you about something? Yeah. Jeez, man. Um, wow. So he was looking for clutch games from, I think it was like 2000. Uh, okay, 2004, 0405 season through 2010, 2011. Oh, yeah, dude. I can tell you that basically off the top of my head. They were they yeah. were so far better than every other team during that time. Like it was, I think it was, games, it was either 05-06 or 06-07. So it's either the finals year or the year they won 67. They were like 32-5 and five in clutch games. It was yeah. like just mind-boggling. They won yeah, every so single time. Plus or, plus or minus five points, right? In that stretch. 110 in 54. Not bad. I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised, honestly. Like legitimately, I'm surprised that their record is that poor. In those games. I would have thought it would have been much better. 110 in 54. 14 games better than anybody else in the NBA. But they were 15th in total numbers of games played. Think about that. You're so far above, but you played fewer games than 14 other teams. Just bananas. Did you see that? Uh, there was this chart the other day. I don't know who put it out. Um, I, I think maybe Kevin Pelton. I don't know. Um it was shots to – it might have been shots to tie or take the lead or it might have just been clutch. It had something to do with Damian Lillard because Dame is like mm-hmm. – his numbers this year are just like offensively good. They're really yeah. in, incredible late in games. Like 77% effective field goal percentage, I think, in clutch mm-hmm. this year, which is just mind-boggling. But it was since whatever, since 1998, since 1991 – um, effective field goal percentage in the clutch and shots in the clutch or to take the lead or whatever the case was. And it was mm-hmm. like Kobe, Dirk, Jason Terry, like, and then everybody else was way over here. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. the Mavs had two of those guys on their yep. team. They had Dirk and Jet closing games, and that's why they just won every single close game because yeah. one of those guys was going to carry them over the finish line or both. Yeah, and to have two of them, I mean, that's why that's – a 50 win team cash it in every year and then two finals appearances, right? That's how that works. <laughs> if you have these two things, which is uh, an incredible clutch score, big an incredible clutch scoring uh, wing player. That's the result. You ask how you get there. How do you get to uh, 50 win seasons? And, you know, going back to the finals uh, twice in five years, start there, find those guys. So if Dame, if Dame had another guy, Dame had a post player, or a big that he could he could rely on consistently that did the same thing, yeah, they'd probably make it to the finals twice in five. Why they got mellow, Michael? 
That is why they got mellow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, all right, so let's dive into some of these numbers. And this part, I'm just going to I'm going to read off some of what the information, the data is telling me. And just you tell me if it's if it's signal or if it's noise or if there's anything you make of any of this. OK, and I'll, I'll kind of walk it through um, kind of slowly. So um, because the raw numbers aren't exactly pretty over the last 15 games, and especially after you throw in last night, um, getting nuked by OKC from the three point line. They're just not great, but you have the second best record in the NBA. So what are you doing? What are you cheating? How are you? What, what are you doing here? Like, where are you getting your answers from? You know what I mean? So all these numbers in the last 15 games, that's what we're focusing on. That Which goes back stretch. to what's game one of that stretch, just for uh, I think Atlanta. I think Atlanta on March, February 2nd, I believe. Is that the that at Atlanta? That's at Atlanta, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so in that stretch, you are sixth in offensive rating in the last 15. Uh, fourth in turnover percentage, 12.2%. Um, the net rating isn't that good, though. I mean, it's marginally uh, positive. Um, so I started, I just, let's split it up by quarter. Let's see how we're doing a net rating by quarter. Um, so you're dominating first and third quarters. So what does that tell you as somebody that knows anything about the NBA? Okay, you're using your starters a lot in the first and third quarter, you would think, right? That makes sense to everybody. Your starters play the first. <laughs> they probably might come out and with seven minutes left in the first. Um, so you're, you're, you're not turning the ball over at all either. If you're fourth best in turnover percentage, you're getting shots. You might not be doing the assist percentage isn't out, out of the, you know, stratosphere. You're not like top five or even I think top 10 assist percentage. You're just not turning the ball over. So when guys get the ball, they're not trying for that crazy pass or that cross court thing, unless it's Luca and his still aren't, he's still not turning it over a ton. Um, so 9.8% turnover percentage in the first quarter in that stretch. Just for point of reference, if you're under 10 in turnover percentage, you're killing it. You're going to be you're going to be in top 5 every every year across any quarter. I mean like the I number this, 1 team ever in turnover percentage for a season was San Antonio like 2 years ago. I think they were like 11.2 or 11.3 or something. So yeah, yeah I mean that's that's pretty good. Well, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 9.8% turnover percentage, 9.8% turnover percentage in the first quarter, which is, if you're under 10, it's bananas. Um, plus 4.8 net rating in the first quarter. So you're dominating the first quarters by not turning the ball over. Uh, the lineups that are making it work, your starters. KP, Jay Rich, Doe, Maxi, Luca, Plus 17 net rating. Uh, 111 defensive rating, which would be, better than their normal throughout a four-quarter game, and 128 offensive rating, which would be well above normal for them as well. Second-best lineup. They played 18 minutes together in the first quarter. Tim Hardaway Jr., Willie Colley-Stein, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic. Uh, 107.9 defensive rating and a plus 33 overall, 141 on the offensive side. Sorry, I skipped that one. Uh, so all of these lineups that you're rolling out in the first quarter your three primary lineups that have been used in the, th in the first quarter for at least 10 minutes each are plus 22, plus 33, and then plus 17 for the most often used lineup. You're killing it in the first quarter, and it's because you're not turning the ball over. So let's figure out why we're doing so well in the third quarter. 13.8% turnover percentage, right? Not great. 
for the third quarter. It's still very it's good compared mid- to the rest of the league, but below average. For yeah, them. it's it's good on on the whole against the rest of the league, but for compared to you know that nine point eight we just talked about, that's that's a that's a tick up. Um, so what are they actually doing in the third? And oddly enough, in the third quarter, they're shooting the piss out of the basketball. 61.7% true shooting percentage. And so point of reference there, if you're above 60, you're going to be in the top 10. Maybe top 5, depending on what you're looking at. Uh, plus, So they're plus 3.1 net rating in the third quarter. The lineups you're using there, again, the starters, who have played 54 minutes together in third quarters in the last 15 games. Uh, Tim, KP, J. Rich, Doe, Jalen Brunson. So no Luka in that lineup. That's interesting because... That one's negative. <laughs> uh, and then you go to the third most used lineup in third quarters is a plus 19.7, Tim, Willie, Doe, Brunson, Doncic. The same one from the first quarter. So you're finding these two primary lineups, right? It's starters and then it's Tim and Willie thrown in there. And that those two lineups are the ones they're using in the first and third, and that's how you're winning games. You're edging teams out in the first and third quarter. First quarter by not turning the ball over like at all. Third quarter, you're edging teams out because they're shooting the crap out of the basketball. Um, or at least your true shooting percentage is, is great, which we'll talk about something else that adds into that as well. It's heavily focused on on free throw attempts um, and what you do with those. So does that all make sense so far? Any questions? No. Can I add, <laughs> okay. can I add one thing? Um, of course. They're 15-0 and 0 this year when they're winning at the end of the first quarter. And that stat is like... It's it's always fun to do like win ahead or behind after the first quarter, but it's kind of like a big asterisk on that one because they're fifteen and zero when they're winning by at least one, but they're zero and five when they're either tied or down one, and so like you know it's mm-hmm. like being ahead by one being tied is like a one point thing, not that big a deal. But yeah, they are fifteen and zero when they're ahead at the end of first quarter. So when they get off to a good start, I mean they're going to win, and then they're also. 12 and 0 this season when they shoot better from three than their opponent and if you're you know if you're filling it up from three then uh your true shooting is going to be really good too so those two things are reflected in their overall like across the entire season but it's definitely kind of taken center stage during this run yeah and I think last night was a good indication of something that Rick always says which is you can lose games in the first quarter oh yeah in this league um because Man, you got your ass kicked in the first quarter last night. What was it, like 35 to – whatever it was, it was plus 10. Yeah, it was like 35-19, I think, so minus 16. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah, and granted, you're not playing KP and Luka, but you're 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 spotting a team like 15-plus points out of the gate. And that ended up being a one-shot game at the end. So if you don't mess around and fiddle-fart for the first you know 12 minutes of the game – Man, you probably run that team off the court in the fourth quarter. And we had some free throw issues last night. That's part of it as well. That's something we'll get into later. Yeah, but like the psychological toll that it takes on you whenever you're trying to fight your way back into the game. Like, dude, mm-hmm. just think about it. I mean, how many times, like there was that one play, I think it was in the third quarter maybe, they were starting to kind of come back a little bit. Things were feeling good. Jalen goes down, misses a layup. OKC goes in and lays it in, and you're like, oh, my God, now we're down 12. It would have been mm-hmm. eight. Um, and then there was that one sequence where like five guys dove on the floor and somehow it just magically floated to the corner for an open three. 
Those like mm-hmm. break your back whenever you're trying yeah. to come back into a game. Whereas if you're up five instead, it's like, oh yeah, no big deal. You know? Mm-hmm. So like free throw issues or not, heck, maybe the free throw issues were because they were so worn out from trying to come back into the game. Like spotting the other team a bunch of points early is a recipe to get pretty upset and uh, to make yeah. a lot of people very upset too, Mike. <laughs> I can I can buy into that. Uh, anytime you're climbing back, like there's no way to look this up, but if you've like closed a 20-point gap down to like four points, I'm going to assume your free throw percentage at that point is pretty low in those in those quarters or in those runs. I'm just going to, I'm going to say that's going to be pretty low. Number one, you feel like you have to play perfect. You're feeling like one turnover and you're, you're falling off the cliff. That's how it felt last night, right? Like even when they started to hit shots and OKC just kind of like opened the door and was just kind of like, eh, I don't know. We'll lose this one if you, if you really want it. Um, and then you play the same lineups, super heavy minutes, and you're just scrambling your butt off on defense. And, it, you know, as a guy that accidentally banked one in from the free throw line one time because I was so tired playing against Gainesville on senior night when I just played the entire game. Classic game. Yeah, yeah, it was classic. Still lost, but made my last free throw because it bounced off the window on the free throw line. <laughs> and there's a there's a photo there was a school yearbook photo of me in the free throw line at that play <laughs> but it, it wasn't it's an like action the most play. iconic like moment in van alstein yeah. history is yeah i was like looking up about to shoot the free throw luckily they didn't get it midair because it went off the window like it went off like the top of wow. the window and went in i was that tired um but um the other thing i wanted to look into is i you know we we had these theories and we had these kind of like rules that somehow they graduate into rules. Right. And we just kind of like throw them around. And I've, I, I do that a lot. Like I like to have priors and I like to have ideas about what's happening on the basketball court and how we get the best units out there and how this all works. Um, so one of uh, my rules that I've said for a couple of years is, and we talked about this a couple of days ago on an episode of sounds of the baseline that you'll probably see pretty soon on uh Dallas Mavs YouTube channel, you you can't play Jalen and Luca for too many minutes together, right? Because, and that's why Jalen's not necessarily starting, um, because you want to skew defensively uh, with your starters. And those two together, while fantastic offensive players and, um, you know, uh, ball handlers and drivers of the offense and guys that do exactly what Rick wants them to defensively, you get both of them out there, it just seems like there's too much blood in the water. Not true. At least not in the most used lineup that they've played together in this year. Um, so 43 minutes together for Tim Hardaway Jr. And I think this is last 15 at least. So still a small sample size. And 43 minutes, you know, you're not going to change the way you build a team off 43 minutes necessarily. But this was interesting to me because it's something I've said for a long time. Like Jalen can't necessarily start because playing him and Luca next to each other just limits you defensively and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. Uh, that sounds like me. Um, so the lineup they've been in the most, which 43 minutes in the last 15 games, um, and they're 7-2 and two when this lineup's used, by the way. Tim Hardaway Jr., Willie Cauley-Stein, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic. We talked about that in regards to the first and third quarters a minute ago. 106.9 defensive rating for a team that is running out Jalen, Luca, and Tim 
as your primary wing defenders. And I love the crap out of all those guys. I don't, that's not, defensive uh, aptitude is not one of the first three things I bring up about any of them, right? Looks, personality, sense of humor, (laughs) defense. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, vibes. Uh, 141 offensive rating, 106.9 defensive rating, a plus 34 net rating for that lineup overall. Um, So I found that interesting that maybe I I can stop saying that one, that whenever this unit's on the the court, it's going to be bad news bears. I mean, I think probably a lot of those minutes came in the Hawks game, right? The one in Dallas. Because, like, that was the game where in the fourth quarter they were down, like, 10 or 11, I think, and then Tim and Brunson just, like, went nuclear at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. and Porzingis and Josh Richardson were on the bench like the whole fourth quarter. They didn't play at yeah. all. And then I think that group also played a lot in the Boston game too, um, although maybe Maxie was out there with him. But, yeah, the, the Luka, Brunson, Tim trio is I, – I would guess their numbers for the entire season are like really, really good when they're on the floor together. Yeah. yeah. No that's, that's probably um, your three most dynamic perimeter players, right? I mean, am I – yeah, like Richardson, I think yeah. is you know especially last night he was really good. But like combination mm. of shot creation for themselves, athleticism, running, you know, I th- that's like a really that's a really good trio, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you did uh, a shootout style at the end of a game like hockey does, where it's like one on one, and you need to pick your three to get a shot off, taking the ball from half court against a defender, that's probably your first three. Luca, Jalen, Tim. Yeah. yeah, probably. I mean, KP might be in there just because he can get a shot off from anywhere. But mm. you know, I like I like the ball handlers. I like the wings. Those are the three guys that can create their own shot. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, if we want to do that shootout style, a game ends and tie. Dude, that would be, that'd be awesome. awesome. That'd be so good. That would be awesome. Yeah. Who needs overtime? Honestly, Elam yeah. ending and one on one. Let's go. Come yeah. on. Yeah. And I'm trying to think what you do if you get fouled. But we'll we'll, we'll work it check out. Check up, check up, go back. Yeah, that'd be tough because um, then there's no repercussions. But anyway, yeah. So I can I can stop saying that. I can stop saying Luca and Jalen on the court together. Bad idea defensively, guys. Let's not do it. Well, maybe. I, I mean, that's the thing. About. You know, it's a, it's all small right sample now, size. But yeah, yeah. As of as of right now, I'm just gonna put that. I'm gonna put that prior in a in a little tote bag, and I'm gonna put it in the closet, and we're gonna leave it there for now. And maybe next season we'll we'll break it back out, but that one can rest. So, looking into some more last fifteen game stuff, um, opponents are nuking them from the three point line, but we're still winning. So fifth most threes allowed in the last fifteen games, fourth worst percentage allowed. Opponents are shooting thirty nine five against us, almost forty percent, technically forty percent if you round up. And uh, so none of the teams that are around them in percentage allowed uh, in terms of like bottom 10 in the league um, are better than a game over 500 in that stretch. So if you look at the teams that hover around the Mavs in terms of three point percentage allowed, it's like the one in 14 Rockets and like all the teams, it's like a bunch of seven and eight or (laughs) six and nine teams. Um, so this obviously is not a formula for success. Like the the correlation would be like 0.85. Like they would be like Leonardo DiCaprio meme, like pointing at the TV. Um, if you allow a huge percentage from three, 
and you allow the fifth most take in every game, you're not going to win a lot of games. But we're 11 and four. Yeah. So I'm trying to make sense of it all. (laughs) That defies, it defies all notions of like what basketball is about, right? The other team shoots better than you. You're probably going to lose this year. It's changed because it, I looked at it the game before the all-star game, but at the, at that time, Somewhere between like 75 to 78% of the time, the team that shot better from three won the game. So like mm-hmm. three out of four times, if, you're, if you shoot it better, you're going to win. Has nothing to do with the number of makes. It is purely just percentage. And mm-hmm. other teams have been making a lot of threes too. Like, dude, like OKC last night was by far their best three-point shooting game of the season. Uh, yeah. Only time they've been above 50%, and they were like 55%. Orlando, I think, in that game, they were 45.5% or 48% or something. They were just, like, out of this world, couldn't miss. And, uh, you know, luckily they ended up winning the Orlando game. And last night, like, if if OKC just shoots 47%, then the Mavs win the game. But they didn't. They shot 55. Some of that is out of your control. But I think some of it, too, is, like, a lot of it that's been one of the – not the knocks, but, like – and not even the Achilles heel because it's very intentional – but sort of like the drawback of defending like Milwaukee has these last few years, and the Mavs very much try to emulate Milwaukee's system uh, defensively and kind of offensively too, but mostly defensively, uh, where you just drop the big man back and you just let it all happen, is that eventually the other team is going to like, and it's so common now, like teams are not caught by by surprise, basically, by the way you're playing them. So they go into the night... with the confidence of knowing like my job tonight is to shoot 10 threes and like if I miss my first five I'm gonna keep shooting like if if you just play with like no doubt like pure stoic spreadsheet style basketball and you just believe that if you keep doing it over and over again then it's gonna work then you are gonna make 20 threes in that game it might take you 50 attempts to get there but hey that's 40 percent from three and that's 60 points on 50 shots that's gonna win you a lot of games so I think that's one of the things of like do you continue playing and I know that this is like a bunch of people just learned what this word means two months ago, and now it's like the number one thing that Mavs fans are talking about. Do you keep playing drop coverage because, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of good shooters in the NBA now? Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, look, like, you play OKC 500 times, they will never shoot 50% from three again in a game. They just won't. Like, yep. They simply will not. So I'm not trying to change. Just as you would say, like, 43 minutes isn't going to prove you anything, a couple bad games isn't going to prove me anything because a lot of it is just like literally just good luck, you know. But at the same time, um, especially in the OKC game and really against the Magic too with Vucevic, like it's tough to both drop back as the big man but then also sprint out and contest the shot of a good three-point shooting five. That's part of why Porzingis is so good, right, Um, offensively. And like Al Horford and Nikola Vucevic just like destroyed the Mavs in both of those games and so that's kind of like the the big challenge is what happens whenever you go up against a team whose big man can't shoot um those are the games where it's like oh yeah it's gonna be a tough night it's gonna be a tough night yeah and just a theory that's popping into my head or I kind of and you're not gonna be able to pull up a number for this necessarily but Three three point percentage over a fifteen game span does not mean every single night every team shoots forty percent. That's not what it means, right? It means OKC might shoot fifty five, and then San Antonio might shoot twenty seven, 
right? Is that what they, so they, it's, is that what the Spurs shot? I thought they were like forty. No, okay. they shot well. Yeah. They shot well. I'm just saying, and whatever you do in averages, yeah, okay, okay. Of of a of a stat in which some teams shoot forty a night threes, some some teams shoot sixty, some teams shoot well 20, 25 threes in a night. Um, it, it's a volatile stat on a night to night basis, right? Especially when you're playing teams that aren't that good. For good teams, like the entire goal of basketball is to make three-point shooting not a volatile stat. To be able to walk out of every game going, okay, we shot somewhere between 37 and 45%. That was cool. We did what we were supposed to do on that end. Um, so number one, it's a volatile thing on a night-to-night basis if you're playing a team that isn't just stacked front-to-back with shooters. So you just play into that card that I can give you open looks perhaps, and you might just not hit them no matter what just because you're just not that guy. Um, so playing into that, and then the other idea is shots that fall in quarters one through three might not fall in the fourth quarter. They just might not be there in the fourth quarter for you uh, because the game is a completely different game at that point. And the thing you always think about whenever you're like, you know, it's like a football thing of like, oh, well, that second or fifth carry you give the running back necessarily doesn't matter, but that 25th one, that's the one that matters you're gonna pound this team into dust, and they're gonna they're gonna roll over. And I don't know if that's necessarily a thing of a physical team imposing their will on you, but over the last I don't know two years since the beginning of last season, I'd say we've become a physical team, and that works you, that grinds you. Like if you get out of a game with the Mavericks when Luca is playing, and you don't feel it, like I think you're lucky. I think you're pretty lucky because I think he takes his pound of flesh every night. He's going to get into the lane and he's going to make you run side to side. Like you're going to feel like you did uh, gassers or suicides for, you know, 45 minutes because he's going to whip the ball around. And if you're smaller than them, smaller than him, you're going to get shoulders and elbows and torsos thrown into you all night. And you got to make sense of it and defend him properly. So that might be part of it. I don't know how much of it it is because that's not really a measurable thing. Like I can look up what opponents shoot in the fourth quarter for sure. But um, I think 39.5% for opponents over that stretch sounds awful, but I don't know how awful it actually is. And especially when you take into account when I get into, okay, why is this working? <laughs> all, all I've given you is like, hey, this shouldn't work. Hey, this shouldn't work. Hey, this shouldn't be happening information. Besides the net rating in the first and the third and the starting lineups being very good. Um, part of the reason why this is working, because we're shooting 38.1% from three. With the fourth most attempts per game. So opponents were fifth and shooting 39.5. We're fourth, shooting 38.1. That's basically a wash. That's, we're, we're shooting, we're going, we're going tack for tack against the opponents, right? You're raising five, I'm going to raise five. Um... So that's part of it. We're canceling their three-point shooting out because we're shooting so well. The other part of why this is working or why we're 11-4 and four in this stretch that the numbers might not, if you just looked at the raw numbers, you wouldn't believe we were, 82% from the free-throw line and sixth in free-throw rate. So free points. Points that are just there for the taking as long as you make these damn things. Last night they did not. You see what happened. Um, 82% from the free-throw line is pretty damn good. Sixth and free throw, free throw rate, 
I'll take that over a whole season. It's happened in the last 15 games, but if it happens over a whole season, you got something. A lot of that is Luka and his improved free throw shooting. A lot of that is Jalen. A lot of that is Josh as well. Just guys that can shoot free throws and get there consistently. That's huge. That's that's a trick. That's that's a that's a uh, field position trick in football of having a great punter or something like that. And then the other thing in the last 15 games, fifth in true shooting percentage, 60.3. A lot of that does factor in free throw attempts. That's a way to cheat true shooting percentage. But if you're almost about 40 and 30 in uh, three point percentage and shooting a ton of free throws, you're going to end up pretty good at true shooting percentage. The other thing I already alluded to, fourth best turnover percentage in that stretch. So you don't turn the ball over. You're shooting the crap out of the ball from three. And you're getting to the free throw line a ton and you're making them. So all the other stuff that's going on is hovering around and telling you like, well, the net rating is not great. Well, other teams are kind of bombing us from the three-point line. This is what's giving us the edge. This is the difference. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and I think a lot of that is KP too. Um, I'm trying to kind of stall for time as I look up a stat on the fly that I'm just thinking about right now. But um, <laughs> like in his last five games, for example, he's taken five free throws a game, which is really good. Um, mm-hmm. I would assume in that time frame, his last – well, the Mavs' last 15 games, which for him I think he's played like 10 or 11 of those games, um, his percentage of shots that have come at the rim is probably a lot higher. There's a lot of, a lot more point-blank stuff. Um, establishing deeper position in the post. Uh, like in the restricted area during that time, he's 72%, which is really good. Um, 46 shots at the rim versus only 29 in the mid-range. So it's just a lot that's coming just closer to the basket, which is really good and kind of a reflection or like a – signal at least that that he's feeling better thought in that Spurs game in particular there was a lot of stuff going to the basket like he put the ball on the floor and drove by guys a couple times finished Mm -hmm. a couple lobs from Luca and then also he had this one really nice kind of baseline cut against Yaka Pirtle where he's like yeah I'm just faster than you caught the ball Mm -hmm. and then got fouled going up Um, and so whenever he's doing a lot more stuff around the basket that's really good but that's also kind of dependent on his connection with Luca in particular but also other guys to be stronger because like look at the the Brooklyn game whenever Dallas was in Brooklyn for example um they did DeAndre even play in that game like I don't remember seeing him on the floor but they they like played really small and so he had KP like one was block that up. I remember what's that he had like one block that I remember from that game and the rest of it I don't remember even seeing him out there that much okay yeah I mean they were Brooklyn was just playing real small they had uh they had oh my god what's in uh who is it who, uh, uh, Jeff Green was guarding yeah. KP for a lot of that game. And Uncle so Dallas Jeff. is almost playing like a college-style four guys around the perimeter and then KP in the post, and they were just swinging it from side to side. And that kind of stuff like takes familiarity, rhythm, chemistry, all that stuff, um, and guys who can make good entry passes. feels like Dorian Finney-Smith is an underrated post-entry passer. I think he's one of the yeah. better ones on the team, but that that might just be purely anecdotal. Um but that's really good, too. Earlier in the year, whenever KP was first coming back, it was a lot of catch-and-shoot threes, which is obviously good. But then it was also a lot of, like, 18 to 20 feet stuff, turnaround jump shots, which, again, turnarounds are good. But whenever he's putting the ball on the floor, getting to the basket, sealing guys, getting good position, um, finishing over smaller guys, that's whenever this offense is really humming. And, and he's kind of 
I mean, he shot well from two all year, but especially in these last like ten or so games, he's been really, really good from inside the mm-hmm. three point line. Yeah, and he's one of those dudes where it's like so easy to pinpoint whenever he's feeling it and in an aggressive mood because he always, well, except for like for some reason the first possession of the first quarter and the first possession of the third quarter, they keep running this play for him to get him on the block. Uh, Josh will bring the ball up and they run, I don't even know what action it's called, but it's basically to get KP on the block. Besides that, that only happens like, I don't know, three other times a game. So the majority of his catches are from beyond the three-point line and usually pretty deep. So if he wants to be aggressive, that means you're watching a 7-3 guy put the ball on the deck and it is always a gasp moment. It's always a, huh? Like, what's going to happen next? Like, you know, it's like the mass Singer like the the top came the top came off and no one's no one's head is inside of there and then 3 seconds later it's Kermit pops up you know it's 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 that yeah, moment I, I've seen that episode <laughs> yeah that one's lit um so it is very easy to like build a narrative around like KP was aggressive tonight and like a 5 year old watching the game could be like yeah that giant man put the ball on the on the deck and took six dribbles and dunked on somebody like but then he starts doing it on the defensive end too like that's the thing. Like I can, I can almost always tell you like how he's playing on one end by seeing the other end. <laughs> so if it takes that kind of, hey, let's start the game every game with a post up for him, like the Kendrick Perkins commemorative post up that Cleveland used to run or whoever did OKC, I think I think it was OKC. Yeah. <laughs> every beginning of every half, they would just have the memorial Kendrick Perkins memorial post up, mm. uh, just to get him involved, make him feel like he's part of the team. Um, KP is different. You're trying to get him like to get him to 10, get him to where the pre-workout is kicking in. Um, but if that's what it takes for him to get that grit going, then I don't know, do it more through the beginning of every quarter. I don't care. Um, cause the dude's awesome. Whenever he's locked in on both ends, like there's no one like him in the league. There's just not. Yeah. A lot of his stuff is coming in or a lot of his post-ups at least lately have come within the flow of the offense, but I think that's also a byproduct of how teams are defending them now. So, like, last year, he started playing power forward with Dwight or – he and Maxi didn't play together much. It was basically Porzingis and Dwight. And then Dwight goes down with the Achilles and uh, Porzingis bumps up to the five. And it was pure, like, one big, great, you know, Dorian on the at the four, basically. Teams were defending, for the most part, KP with their five men. And so a lot of it was just pick and roll, pick and pop stuff with him and Luca and it was a good shot every time because like a seven footer trying to defend Luca in space is just like, you're going to die. But mm-hmm. now a lot of teams are because they're starting maxi. <clears throat> a lot of teams are putting their center either on maxi or on Dorian and defending KP with like Rudy gay, for example, from San Antonio. Like it's kind of like your three, four kind of swing guy. Who's like maybe strong enough to to contend with him in the post. And also, like, athletic enough to, if you, if KP screens Luka, you just switch that screen. And uh, that has kind of, like, junked up the offense, or at least certainly did early kind of on in the experiment. Because, again, like, just because you have some experience last year, at the beginning of every year, you're starting back from square one because you've taken a lot of time off. There's been injuries. You have new teammates. There's more film on you, so teams are defending you differently. And this is one of those things. And so... Whereas before it would be a switch and then it's kind of like, well, I don't know, what do we do? Now they just know 
if I'm KP and a 6'8 guy is on me and a 6'6 guy is on Luka, I'm going to screen, and if they switch or not, I'm going to the block because no matter mm-hmm. what happens, a small guy is going to be on me. And uh, yep. that's just like an automatic read at this point to where if there's a corner for Luka to turn, then he will. And if not, then he'll pull it back out, swing, swing, entry pass, and then it's a KP post-up. And that's very good to see because at some point, maybe teams will reconsider what they're doing. Um, maybe they won't. But last year, KP was not a good post-up player. And this year, he has been. Uh, and if that continues, then that's very good. Like, he's scoring more than 50% of the time on post-ups. And all the time it's coming on guys that like should not be guarding him. Just point blank, they mm-hmm. should not be the ones that are down there. Uh, but their teams just don't have a lot of options to do it. And that's kind of why he's the unicorn. Because you put a small guy on him, he's going to score. You put a big guy on him, he's going to pop a three right in his face. And uh, whenever he's on, there's really nothing that you can do to defend him properly, especially when he's playing with Luka. So uh, that's been an, an encouraging thing to see. And I think also why kind of his numbers are going up and the free throws are going up and everything. Like, they just know now they're conditioned to say like if they switch this screen, go to the block and uh, the ball will the ball will meet you there in like one point five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's never going to be like this pick and roll dynamo like Dwight Powell. Like the action might start the same, but it's almost like he'll take his two seconds and just be diligent with it and eventually get to the block if you do switch, or if you don't, like you said. I'll take one step back and I'm confident in hitting this shot. Um, so it's not even about like being catching the ball on that roll. It's to me, him getting to the spot he wants to get to. And that's, I feel like that's an overall thing that they've adopted as a team this season. They might've always taught it, but now the guys are talking about it. So I know it's like a thing that's being adopted. Luca talks about it all the time. Now he's like, well, I got to my spot instead of him taking credit for an amazing shot that went in or those two threes that put the game away. He's never like, yeah, I made a good shot. You know, he's never like, yeah, that one was the defender went the wrong way on me or something. He's always just like, yeah, if I get to my spot, everything's going to be okay. And that's true. That's basketball is so much of a, of a repeated motor function and fine tooled, fine tuned muscles that there are spots on the court that are completely different to guys. And there are spots that are automatic or plus 50% for some dudes if they get good enough at it. And that's something you can't defend. You can't. Not with a guy that can handle the ball like Luca. If you overplay him to that spot, then you're overplaying him left side. And he's in he's by you and he's in the paint, right? So and the timing of like him being able to the coolest one of the coolest things about him over the last couple of years is he used to like shake and bake and dribble a lot and, you know, just dribble the air out of the basketball and try and get to the end of the paint. And then, you know, he's off balance and he's kind of staggering around and you don't know what to do with the ball at that point. Now he's so quick at, okay, I've got you leaning left and right and I'm doing my dance thing. And then I've got the ball in three point stance, like that nothing. There was no time in between. There was a blink and then I'm ready to shoot. And if you can do that and you have spots that you knock down 45% from or so, like, I don't know what you do. That's, that's dragging you out to, out to the deep end. Yeah, that's, um, like the, that's the discovery that all great players make, right? Like, it's the difference between even his rookie year he was able to do this. Like, what we're seeing right now is the difference between getting to anywhere on the floor just because you're good to now he gets exactly where he wants to go. 
And that's like a different thing. It's not like he's just kind of wandering like, oh yeah, let's see what happens if I go here. Now he's like, yeah, there's mm-hmm. like five points on the floor, like my my little heat map. If I get yep. to any one of those areas, you're dead. And right <clears> now it's like <throat> the left wing for the step back. Um, really either block, he's awesome. But especially yeah. like if you're looking at the basket, the left baseline, like down there, he's just mm-hmm. money. Basically like the nail, elbow, free throw, like Dirk's old area he mm-hmm. will absolutely torture people in there i mean like he, he's got a few torture chambers and uh, he's able to get to them now whenever he wants and that's really good but that's why it's important like for all these guys to get as many minutes together as possible right because luca is just now learning this is year three he's just now learning 180 games into his career wherever where his sweet spots are and he'll add more eventually kp is just now learning where his sweet spots are Luca and KP are just now learning where each other's sweet spots are and how they can help each mm-hmm. other get there. And like all of that stuff is like, it's like a project. It's a research project that they're doing on the floor every single night. And so like, it's never going to really be finished, but it's definitely not finished yet. And so that's yep. kind of like the whole, whenever things are going bad, like this season has been really interesting to me, whether they're winning or losing, because like they're going through a whole lot of stuff that's both good and bad. And just seeing how they kind of handle it and how they learn from it and how they adjust because of it and everything has been like really riveting entertainment and kind of like, I guess, I don't know, not myth making, but like the the narrative is unfolding in front of us. The story is unfolding. Um, and that's like the most important, most crucial element of this whole thing is do your best players know what they want to do and what they can do? Like, do they realize what they can do with their their powers? And then also, can the other guys around them help maximize those powers by being in the right place at the right time and knowing where they want to go and being able to read off each other and all that stuff. Like Luca and Dorian are like, they're telepathically connected. Luca and Brunson, I feel like have a really good connection too. And now it's up to everybody else to kind of get to that same level. And all of that is kind of playing out nightly. And so there are going to be 15 game runs like this where everything is clicking and it's going to be awesome. And then there's going to be 15 game runs where it looks like they've never played together before. But that's like the whole point of the flow offense. And it's all just read reaction and improv and, and movement and passing and cutting. And like sometimes it's going to look clunky, sometimes it's going to look awesome. And, and they're kind of making the, the progress in the right direction on that front. Yeah, this game doesn't have to be that abstract. You can have five shots, five different spots on the on the court, and you can be the best center that's ever played in Tim Duncan, you know, like he didn't do that much. Whenever you look back at the highlight reel, it's like kind of the same exact spots over and over. And Luca's getting that down. Um, the, the new one that's kind of gotten added is that whenever he's gets a screen and he's dragging, right. And the defender thinks I've overplayed this to the amount where I've stopped him. And then he's like, Nah, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I'm basically going to go to the sideline and loop back around, and then the middle layup's coming, right? Um, so just sticking with it and just – I can't explain how much balance and, like, lower body strength that takes to just keep riding the freaking bull that's trying to throw you off and the defender all the way around the three-point line and then curl back as body contacts happen the entire time and dribbling the ball the way you want to dribble the ball. That's key. Uh, you're not throwing it in front of you. You're not bouncing it off your shoe. You're not letting the body contact decide where the ball's going. Um, and then a couple other things on Luke in the last 15. We'll wrap up the last 15. Real quick, real quick, uh, real quick. Yeah. One, more, more, more thing about that. Mm-hmm. His rookie season, 
anytime he'd face any pressure off a ball screen, he would pick up his dribble or pass mm-hmm. immediately. And anytime a guy fought over well or like they switched or whatever, he just stopped all his momentum and was like, okay. Yeah. And then he faced the guy and dribbled and tried to get back into the step back. But now he does such a good job of, like you said, keeping his momentum alive, keeping his dribble alive, and just continuing to go and stretch the floor horizontally because he knows that eventually someone else is going to follow him too. And there will be either a passing lane or if another guy comes up eventually, he's got all his momentum going like, you know, parallel to the basket basically. And then he can just split the double team and drive the lane. Like that's Mm -hmm. why you keep your, keep your motion, like keep your, keep your momentum going in one direction because he's so good at changing direction and changing speed, stopping and starting and stuff that if he just keeps his dribble alive, like the puzzle will solve itself. And that's a really, really important kind of addition or development of his game as he's kind of matured. And I'm sure watched a ton of tape on this too. It's just like, don't panic right away because that's what they Mm -hmm. want you to do if you see an extra yeah. body or if, if if they switch it and, and you're surprised like they want to knock you off balance and make you make a bad split second decision once you bring bring your eyes down too, yeah yeah right? yeah just like start looking at like what's this far in front of you because yeah. there's a second defender coming but then now he's just like no like if you like he's always looking weird directions like you mm. can't see you can't even appreciate what he's doing by watching it in person you definitely cannot by watching it on tv and even where we sit at the games, we can't. But, dude, going through all of these photos, watching where his head is at when he's making these passes, it's, like, truly oh, yeah. unbelievable. Like, yeah. he almost never is looking at the guy he's passing to. Almost mm-hmm. never. And yeah. almost every time he passes, there's, like, two guys in his face. Like, it mm-hmm. is unreal what he's able to do on the floor. And I just think, like, as a defense, I have no idea how you're supposed to stop that guy. He is so much better and smarter and more talented than we even think just by watching him with our own eyes. Like, you have to look at these photos of him making these passes and, like, he's looking over here, but he's passing over there. He's looking at the floor, but he's looking at the big man. He's going behind the back over here. Like, he never tips his hand at all like Mm -hmm. that's the most magical thing about him i think is like the other guys have no idea what he's gonna do yeah and his dribble never gets picked off for a six eight dude like that just that just doesn't happen for a guy that i don't know a thousand dribbles a night like not one of them is wrong like he does turn the ball over sometimes when he's trying to do some crazy things with the ball or you know, gets more body contact than he's anticipating and it kind of goes forward and he's kind of stuck there, like looks like he's doing the Flintstones car thing or something and the ball's dribbling away from him. But it just, it's all, the ball is always where he wants it to be. And he plays at his own pace and somehow he gets the defender to speed up while he's not at all. He's the same exact tempo. And the thing you were talking about whenever he doesn't freak out and starts, okay, I'm just going to drag this defender to the sideline. And if he keeps moving in this horizontal fashion, that's a foul. Like he's going to knock me out of bounds or, you know, I'm going to go up with the shot with my left arm underneath him and I'm going to get three free throws or, or, you know, he keeps sliding and I think I can run forward faster with the ball in my hands and he can side, you know, side slide or back pedal. Um, and that's, that's a, that's basically like a wide receiver theory. It's called stacking, right? Once you get the, once you get your torso past a guy and he's on your hip or on your back, you have him stacked. 
And that's what great wide receivers do. They don't have to outrun you. They just have to stack you, get behind you, get, get you on their hip. And that's what he's done. He's so comfortable playing with another 200 to 250-pound human's weight pressed against him on his, on his hip or on his shoulder or on his, on his torso. That's the stuff I don't get. Because if you try and play like him, if we try to play like him in a pickup game, you're just going to fall over. Like, you're not going to be able to dribble. You're just going to get, like, this body momentum, and you're going to fall on your ass, and you're going to look stupid. And he's so strong and so able to, like, control his lower body uh, with the starts and stops and the hitch and the, you know, all the all the Harden stuff. And I don't even feel like Harden, like, did it this way. Like, I think I feel like we got to find, like, a new comparison almost. There isn't Because I don't feel there, – there really isn't. There, there really isn't. You know what was the most um, amazing thing about that uh, – I. I, it might have been Chopper, but it might have been Jalen. I don't know. The sideline, sort of like behind the play angle of whenever he made DeJounte Murray kind of uh, do a 360. Like, mm-hmm. Luka went into that move. He he threw Murray off like with this first step. It was over as soon as he put the ball on the floor for the first time, let alone the step back. But the reason that he just destroyed Murray on that play is because he was holding onto the ball. He kind of like went to take a step, not like a jab step, but just sort of like, you know, feet shoulder length apart. And then he pushed his right foot out a little further. So he's already almost doing the splits. And as the defender, you're like, okay. You know, like <laughs> nobody starts from that position and is able to right. generate any type of momentum because like you're so far apart. There's no, you can't step off, but he steps off powerfully regardless. Like his mm-hmm. feet are like six feet apart. And he is still generating a bunch of force just off his back foot with his first step. And you can even kind of see it in Murray's eyes like, oh, my God. And so, like, he's reacting so much to this first step from a position that is extremely, extraordinarily unathletic. Like, mm-hmm. runners do not start like this. You know what I mean? They start like <laughs> yeah. like you want to explode. Whenever you're split apart, there's no explosion. But there is for Luca because he has so much, he generates so much force with his body and, and just, like, I'm sure even though he doesn't have a 40-inch vertical, he's probably generating more force with his first step than those guys do with their leaps. Like, that's mm-hmm. the, the level of – what's the the unit of measurement for force? Uh, pounds per square inch? Yeah, whatever. That's what he's doing. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of lips, a lot of pounds, Mike. And so it's mm-hmm. over from the first step, and then he's able to mix that with the step back, and that's where Lumens. Bernie was like, oh, my God. But the only way that that worked – is because his first step caught him by surprise. He was out of position before the play even began because Luca started from such an unassuming position. So I would just really, I would, I would implore you to go back and watch that play if you haven't. I'm sure it's everywhere, but it was on Dallas Mavs a couple of days ago, um, where like his feet are just miles apart, and somehow he's still able to generate a bunch of force with his first step. Yeah, and that's the thing. Well, there's a couple of things there. DeJounte, DeJounte Murray's a very good defender. He's um, awesome. To, to begin with. Um, the the second part is he overreacted so bad because he didn't want to get stacked. He didn't want to be on his back or on his hip, right? He knows I have to stay in front of this person with my eyes to his chest. Otherwise, I'm cooked. There's nothing else I can do. And I guarantee you there was one one or two plays previously in the game where he jabbed did a jab step on DeJounte and he like didn't react or something. So he was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a jab step. You're going to think I'm messing with you and I'm going to start from this weird stance and then I'm going to go. 
I'm going to be in between. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a visual that you saw 20 minutes ago, and I'm going to play it different. And he's just, I don't know, man. I've never seen anything like it. Like, we could do a pod every week about Luca and the crazy stuff that he does and stuff that you can't see if you're watching it on TV and you can't even see if you watch it in person. But um, last 15 games, or overall in the season, second most drives per game. Uh, I think it was 22 or 23. Shea's the only one that is more, and Shea's are a little bit different. He doesn't shoot as well on those. 58% on drives for Luka this season. Last 15 games, same number of drives per game, 63% from the field on drives. That's a lot of KP, last man. Last 15. That's a lot of KP helping games. out there. Most points coming off of drives per game. In the league, in the entire NBA, um, and he's also getting this. This I also found kind of interesting because I'm trying to figure out like what's going on in this 11-4 stretch. Um, Luca is getting 9.3 field goals attempts, field goal attempts per game that are considered open, four to six feet. It's almost ten shots a game that are considered open. That's the second most. Uh, wide open shots for teammates in the last 15 games. <laughs> Tell me if this sounds something you'd like to be a part of. Being six plus feet open is considered wide open. Last 15 games, KP 3.6 shots, Dorian 3.5, Maxi 3.5, Tim 2.8, Brunson 2.7. All those guys, that's five, five different Mavericks, are all in like the first page and a half. And it's very staggering to see because you'll scroll through and you try and find, you're like, oh, the Suns have two guys. That's cool. I'm getting wide open, six plus feet. Four shots a game for KP. Four shots a game for Dorian. Four shots a game for Maxi. Three for Tim, three for Jalen. Want to know what they have all, all have in common, Mike? <laughs> yeah, they all play with Luka Doncic. Yeah, and also whenever they were, uh, you know, losing games, none of those guys was playing. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. They all they all have immaculate vibes as well. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it because it's never, it's always more complicated than it seems. Even whenever the the explanation is confusing, but like, dude, they're eleven and four because their team is playing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like it's it we we can't I don't know I I can't stress it enough. Like, it it is I it really is that simple. I think like they're just they're yeah. a good team when they're healthy. Yeah. No, for sure. And that's the thing that sucks about the six-game losing streak and the and the COVID stint is nobody on this team is getting the recognition or the good feelings and just overall uh, positivity that they deserve for playing this well. And especially not, you know, the MVP of the league or the second in MVP voting right now or third or whatever you want to call Luka. Because if you really dig into it, if you really start looking at it, whether it's numbers or just breaking down plays step by step, it's even scarier and more uh, dramatically impressive than you thought it was. I mean, just six feet wide open. Like, how many times do you get left like that in a game? And these dudes are getting, like, five different Mavericks are getting three-plus shots like that a game. That's incredible. That's freaking incredible. That's what. That's how you're winning. That's the 11-4. That's how that works. Um, and I don't want to go, you know, two hours or anything, but Jalen Brunson is awesome this season, man. Just absolutely spectacular. Um, I'm the biggest Jalen fan you're going to find. No, you're not. I am. Um, 
No. No. I'll send you the photo. I'll send you the photo for proof. He's throwing you shade in that photo. You know it. Um, I don't want to talk just about it. A, <laughs> just, just a badass, and particularly in the fourth quarter. Um, I know it's become a popular quotable, but 58.4% field goal percentage in the, th- in the fourth quarter for Jalen. 40.7 from three. 83.3 from the free throw line. Dude is awesome right now. Um, I don't know if I saw coming off the injury. I didn't see this kind of leap. I, I thought this kind of player existed in that, in that, in my little buddy's body. Like I thought he could get to this point. I didn't know if I was anticipated it after a season coming off of a shoulder injury. You know what I mean? Like I just thought it might take him a while to ease back in, but dude, he's quicker. He's knocking down his threes and he's another dude that's just getting to his spots not trying to do anything fancy. And his stuff does look like Tony Parker's stuff. Like it is knock down that left-handed three, get to the basket, and use about four different kind of tricks, depending on how the defender's playing him, and then the elbow jumper. Um, and then there is a little turnaround in the lane that is is a nifty little trick to have in your bag, which I felt like that's the only thing he was going to like his first two years, which is like, I'm going to get you off balance, and then I'm going to spin, and then I'm going to do this fadeaway in the lane, and I have enough touch to pull this off. You know, forty five percent of the time. But it looks so forced yeah. back then. You know, I think what yeah, what yeah. really stands out about it this year is like just how fluid and easy he makes it look. Like it, like it was. That it was is the move he wants before. to do. Yeah, yeah. It was very premeditated before. Like I felt like he was going to do that move no matter what the other end of the formula was. Like I'm going to go left hand dribble and I'm going to spin and I'm going to fade away into the lane and turn and the most difficult eight foot shot you can take. <laughs> Basically, you know what I mean. And now. I need to ask him, like, I'm trying to get Jalen on a, on a pod and just, uh, you know, talk Wildcats with him, um, but, uh, or High School Musical, um, but I need to know, like, are you faster now? Like, are you stronger? Like, what's, what's going on? Because, I mean, he is a badass player. Like, he's been the best player on every team he's ever played on growing up and even through college, but it just wasn't this the first two years. He just hadn't figured it out, and then it just... I'm not going to say something just clicked. I'm going to say the dude probably made physical gains and figured out exactly what this tool set that I have in front of me, which is wide and has a bunch of different stuff in it. What shots do I need to take consistently? Yeah. You know, I don't want to uh, do the science thing because like, I don't know anything about really most stuff, but uh, he did, I think like a year ago, just stopped eating meat. He eats fish. That's Mm. it. So I don't know I, I don't know what kind of impact or if that had any impact on him. I mean, he's always kind of been like very Luca-ish, just sort of like a kind of like a thick, bulky build. Um mm-hmm. and I wonder if just cutting out beef and chicken and stuff, like I, I wonder and just replacing it with salmon, like I I wonder if that added a little pep to his step. I have no idea. I, I'd be really interested in, in hearing more about that too. But I think some of it also is just like just confidence. You know, I mean, like his rookie year, he was behind Dennis and last year, you know, it's kind of always looking over his shoulder like JJ going to come in and, you know, all the time he's playing behind Luca this year. I mean, like it was kind of his job, you know, there was really no one else that he's competing with kind of Trey Burke, but they do different stuff. So well, I, I wonder if he just he just try to compete for those minutes and yeah he just feels free that didn't last long yeah you know yeah. and and more comfort in the system and everything you know more experience mm-hmm. and all that stuff but yeah I mean I think some of it could be uh, 
diet. Some of it could just be experience. And but yeah, I, I think like with the shoulder, because it, was it his left shoulder? I can't remember. It was like um, I think it was his right. Was it his right? Okay. I think it was his right. Regardless, yeah. though, dude. I mean, like he's like one of the most fearless drivers in the like he will throw his entire body at the rim and he takes some nasty falls so that does mm-hmm. take some uh some uh, cojones you know to keep doing that especially after you know suffering a pretty nasty injury i mean dude that's like a mm-hmm. that's a pretty traumatic horrific injury for a basketball player very rare for a, a basketball player to suffer an injury like that well and shoulder surgeries just don't work out mm-hmm. like most of the time whenever you tear your rotator cuff or something they're like yeah you could get surgery but you know it's gonna take like a year and it probably will still hurt and kind of up to you (laughs) do you just want to rest it do you just want to rest it for a really long time or do you want to do this and maybe it heals back better and maybe it's a a good experience for you but i've heard from people that have had shoulder surgeries and they're just like i wish i never did this I wish I'd never agreed to this. And uh, cutting out meats for a dude that frequents the Chicago area in the off season and can't go to Portillo's. No more hot dogs. Commitment, bro. The level of commitment is that's next level. He's got to slip in a cheat meal every now and then, right? I mean, we got to get to the. I hope so. We got to get to the. I hope so. Maybe a beef croissant every once in a while, Portillo's. Um, But I think the other thing was. He's not a dumb guy. Jalen is incredibly smart, like smarter than anybody gives him credit for. Like he's, he's very with it. He's very on top of it. Smarter he than knows, you. Yeah, probably. He knows what people want from him. Like before they even like ask him, or he knows the right things to say. Right. So you go through the season he went through last year, which wasn't very. You know, it was fine for a thirty-third pick, but we expect a little bit more from Jalen because of his pedigree. And. You're going through that season, a little under underwhelming overall. You get that long-term injury, and you probably start thinking to yourself, like, man, my career can go one of two ways right now. I can, you know, miss the next six plus months or whatever it was, and now I'm just a guy off the end of the bench. And that's fine. That's cool. Like, I would kill to have that life. Like, that'd be a really cool life, right? To be an NBA player and just, you know, get like 15 minutes a night and whatever. But he decided, you know, I'm one of the greatest college basketball players that's ever lived. I mastered that. How do I figure this thing out? Do I need to add athleticism? Do I need to add some little twitchiness to my game? Do I need to become a 41% shooter from three-point range? Um... And I literally think he just took it to heart. Like, I'm not going to be the eighth guy off the bench. I'm going to be a sixth man on this team at times, starter for a good number of games and a quality enough player to where I could be an NBA starting point guard right now. And it's awesome, man. Like, I love, I love whenever this happened for Maxi. That was badass. And there was even less expectation for him getting to that level. And now that Jalen's, you know, made the leap, um, it happen. It takes a little bit longer than you know your your news cycles like it to, or your fan base likes it to. But that's kind of the story of most of the core of this team, isn't it? Like Maxi 
took some time. Dorian took some time. Dwight took a long time. And that's those guys are, I mean, they're the character of this team probably on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, and I know no one wants to, like, feel good about Dwight Powell or anything because of, you know, people just feel what they feel. But, um, I mean, those are the, like, those are the veterans. Those are, like, the the torch carriers now. You know, Dirk gone, Devin gone, JJ gone. Like, your longest tenured Mav is Dwight Powell. Your second longest mm-hmm. tenured Mav is Dorian Finney-Smith. Your third longest mm-hmm. tenured Mav is Maxi Kleba. What do they all have in common? They were really disappointed on draft night, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else do they have in common? They had to work really hard to get good, to get serviceable, but they did. Their start, Dwight, until he got injured, was a starting player. The other two are starters. And they all got taken care of by their organization, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, you know, the sort of uh, ho-hum, humbled, humbled by the, by the game, you know, uh, kind of attitudes that you have to have, especially if you're going to have, like, your two centerpiece stars, you know, you got to have kind of a stable of, of supporting role players. And the great thing about all those guys is that they're cool with being role players, you know, like everybody's bought in, even Tim is bought in coming off the bench now. And last year, like he wasn't excited about that, you know, but this year, like that's, that's the, that's the culture though. That's, that's, if you see the last four guys that have been asked to do something like this, do it and do it with a smile and work their ass off to be the best at that new role. You can't be the fifth guy and go. No, I'm a starter. Yeah, but what are you bigger than the team? Like, is that that is that what's happening? You know, right? Yeah, that's that's the tone that gets set. Like, if if the last four guys in front of you went and you know ran down to the goalpost and sprinted back because they thought it would make them better, like you're not going to be the fifth dude that goes. No, I'm better than all those dudes right there. Like, and I'm better than I'm, and I know better than you, coach. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, so it is a team full of dudes that nobody wanted on draft night. And that's, that's the, those guys are the face of this team. I've said this for a long time and no one really wanted to hear it of like these, this, this is the character of your team. It's dudes that nobody wanted on draft night, had to work their ass off for years at a time before getting minutes and then work even harder to become starters or establish their NBA careers because they decided it was not enough to just be in the league, you know? And Dwight's a great example. Maxie's a great example. And Dorian is a spectacular example. And, and Jalen Brunson's guys next, are, you know? Yeah, Jalen. Jalen's the next one. Jalen is the next one of guys that did not go in the first round that every single team passed on, and they have that chip on their shoulder and – decided it's not good enough just to be a guy in the league. Um, and I hope all those dudes are here for the rest of their careers because that take takes care of so much. Like, honestly, there are a lot of teams that would kill to have that kind of veteran presence. Um, and there are teams that are just missing that kind of veteran presence um, and search for it every, you know, trade deadline or buyout season. They try and find that guy, you know? So... Happy that Jalen is now on the crew. <laughs> you know who's another one of those guys is Josh Richardson. And I think that yeah. having a lot of those guys that are like buy-in, like worker bee is almost like insulting, but, you know, guys that are going to do the dirty work. Um, mm-hmm. Having a bunch of those guys in your team that are all bought in to their roles, to everything, makes kind of empowers Rick to coach the team the way he's coaching this year, which is basically like 
if you're having a bad game, you're not going to be on the floor. And that mm-hmm. goes for like everybody, even for KP, you know, like Luca got that tech the other night against the Spurs. Rick pulled him out of the game for like two yeah. or three minutes. Like, Hey, you need to go calm down, you know? And like, that means that KP has not finished some games. Josh Richardson has sat for the entire fourth quarter in some games, but that's what Rick is doing. Like if you're on, you're in. And if you're off, you're out. And that is, that's like motivation for Brunson and for Hardaway and the guys off the bench. Like if I'm having a good game, like I'm not going to get treated like a 10th a man. Like I'm, I'm going to Willie Colley Stein. I'll get 30 minutes if I'm having a good game, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like motivation. It's like a, like a little bone, like a little, uh, like a little treat almost like, dude, like if you work hard and you're, and you're good and you're, and you stay ready and all that stuff, like you're going to get the last shot. You know, and there aren't many other teams like, uh, you know, Rick has been kind of fairly or unfairly criticized for a long time, sort of like sticking to the script. Same guys close the game every single game. Last year they did that. They were really, really bad in the clutch, you know, record-wise and offensive rating-wise and everything. This year it's like a different closing five every night, and they're winning way more games because he's just riding the hot hand all over the place. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in on it, and, but that takes guys buying in in order for that kind of management style to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now that we do have a little bit of a sample size of, you know, some a healthy month in our bag, um, not do you think the <laughs> Jay Rich for Seth trade, did we win that thing? Um, but do you think at this point in the season, and I know, I know you're going to say give it some more time and let's see what it is in playoff time, but do you feel like the – would you do that over? Would you do that same move of – and it's not necessarily player for player, but run to the, the the cage at the casino and say, I would like to cash in some of these offensive chips for defensive chips now, please, sir. Can I do that? Um, has that has that worked in your minds um, in this live action uh, experiment that we've kind of thrown around? over the last couple of months. It's, it's tough to say if it's worked. Um, I mean, you look at the standings, no, it hasn't worked because Philly's first in the East and Dallas is eighth. But also, like, Dallas's record in games when, like, their team has played is about as good as Philly's. So I feel like it's worked for both teams. Um, the way you feel about Jalen Brunson is the way that I feel about Seth Curry. I'm, like, the the captain of the fan club. We got our headquarters right over here in my living room. Um, <laughs> I love his game. And so if it was just some other guy who shoots 42% from three, I'd be like, yeah, you do that all the time. But because it's Seth Curry in particular, it's like, it hurts a little more for me. Uh, I'm very biased, but I also like Josh Richardson, man. I like kind of the, 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 not really like the attitude, but sort of like the, the vibe, I guess, for lack of a better word that he brings to the team. Like, he's the guy that dives on the floor. He's the guy that's just going to do, like, some crazy, weird athletic thing that you did. Like, wild finishes at the rim, transition, coming out of nowhere to block a shot, poking a ball away. Just, like, a lot of, like, impact splash plays that kind of dazzle you that no one else on the team can make. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I, I like his game. I love Seth Curry's game. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's worked insofar as both teams are – very successful when they can follow the plan that they established in the off season. 
Um, but, you know, things kind of went sideways really for both teams. Like Seth had an injury and got COVID and has not been the same since. Josh Richardson has co- had COVID and kind of had a bumpy week or so, you know, once he came back. But on the whole, I, f- I feel like he's had a good season. Um, and Seth obviously has had a really good season too. So, I mean, I, I would not say that it was like a failure or a loss or anything. And I, I mean, I probably would do it over again. I mean, like it was, it was pretty evident, man, like last year they had to get better defensively, you know, like they couldn't stop LA in the fourth quarter. And that was, that was not going to fix itself, you know, based on the personnel they had. And so, you know, Seth was kind of a casualty in that regard, uh, which is too bad, but they had to do it. And, um, you know, I think like, you know, I said that on, uh, sounds on the baseline, like you have your a plus 100% offensive guy, and you trade him for a guy who's like still pretty good at offense, but not quite as good. You're going to view it as a step back, but the difference on defense is very noticeable and will hopefully be even more so in the playoffs. And that's to take nothing away from Seth, who's now in a place in Philly where he's playing with like Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and Danny Green, where like he can guard the guy that he should be guarding and not like Kawhi Leonard, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it worked out for both teams. Um, and you know, I, I think the the shooting will come around a little bit for Josh. And even if it doesn't, he does so many other things that I, I feel like he's he's still like a positive player for them on the on the on the whole. Yeah. What about you, uh, Mike? It, I you know, trading for one guy and thinking that fixes your defense is always silly to me. And the team didn't do that; the fan base did that, right? You could trade for the whoever you consider the best defender in basketball, Chris Middleton, Kawhi Leonard throw them in there and going like, hey, you're going to jump from late 20s to top five defensive rating. That's not how this works. Um, and Josh does bring an edge to him. Last night, he single-handedly tried to win that game. Like, he was like, this ain't happening. We're not getting smoked by 20 in Oklahoma City. I mean, he's from there, so that might have had something to do with it. Um, but he was like, not having this start picking off passes, start knocking down threes, start getting in the lane. Um, and, you know, if you trade Josh for Seth, it you can look at the three-point percentage and judge everything by that if you want to. But we needed somebody that could start at the wing because Seth Curry was not that guy. For as talented as he is and the hyper-polarized skill set he has, number one, Misses a lot of games. So if your starting unit plays together and you like this continuity of the starting unit, well, a lot of times one of that fifth is not going to be there. Um, can't play a ton of minutes. I think you have to monitor Seth's minutes quite a bit. Um, and he just wasn't, he's not a starter, whatever that means to you. Well, so I, you think, I think start. he is in the right situation. You know, I want to push back a little back on that, uh, a little bit on that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, they're different. They're just different kind of, they're different ideas of they're different archetypes, just totally yeah. different archetypes. And what and what they ask out of that position or what position they need to step in there, it it doesn't look like Seth Curry. It looks like Josh Richardson. You know, you can say maybe it looks like maybe they need a souped up version of Josh Richardson or Josh Richardson at his peak. Okay, we can have that discussion um, and see where Josh is whenever the playoffs come around. And I mean, he's only he's literally only had like twenty five games from 
this season with the actual guys that are playing, right? It's so few games that he's gotten to play with these guys. Um, so I, I would do it again. Um, and I don't think there's like got to be a clear answer on this. Uh, whenever you do shake something up and you do uh, get in a knuckle fight with inertia and you're going to go like, I'm going to do this when nothing necessarily needs to be done because we have the best offense ever. Um, it is kind of planting your flag. It's, 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 it's making a claim that I know better and this is how it's going to go. So you do open yourself up for criticism and a lot of speculation, which a lot of people did over the off season and still are doing even into this season. That's but, what fandom is, man. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you needed a starter. <laughs> you, you needed a starter in my mind. Um, and you were short one starter and you got one, a guy that has been a part of their best units. Take that as you will. You can look at individual numbers if you want, you know, shooting percentage. And by the way, I think Josh is 38% in the last 15 games. So getting closer to normal Josh Richardson numbers. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know the right answer. I'll know when the playoffs start. <laughs> if if Josh is the right guy that they should have added or if that was, you know, a little premature to send Seth away. But let's see. I'm interested in it. Uh, speaking of playoffs and the results of those, a couple of theories, or one theory for you. I don't know if the team that sprints out to the first half crazy record before the All-Star break, I don't know if that's a great idea. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at you, Utah. 27-9, uh, kicked the crap out of us twice out there um, in Salt Lake City, but... I just, I, I see all, you know, you, a team plays so well in the first half and then everybody's writing about that team. And there's a, there's a, there's a ringer story about why this team isn't the 14, 15 Atlanta Hawks, you know? And I'm like, well, let's wait and see what happens in the playoffs before you say that guys. Cause that's how you get judged in this league. Um, and I do think that's a spectacular team. Don't get me wrong. I think Donovan Mitchell's awesome. I think Gobert, I think the depth they have is nuts. Um, and they play a fun, badass kind of basketball. Um, and I, I'm a fan of their team. Like, I think they're just really good. It's more about killing yourself to prove something in the first half or have, like, the best record in, the ba- in basketball that I don't know if it works out that well come playoff time. And the last three years in particular, it hasn't. Um, if your goal is making the finals which if you're the best record in basketball, probably should be. Your expectations have been raised at that point. Um, If you're, good God, what is this, 18 games over 500 in the first half, your goal should be the finals. Um, They'll probably make a move that looks like, hey, we're a finals team. You know, that's the kind of stuff that happens. You start getting into conversations and trades and deals and buyout options and things like that that you wouldn't prior because your expectations are now different. Um, Last year, the Bucks had the best record, forty-six and eight. <laughs> forty-six and eight sounds insane. Uh, before the All Star break, knocked out in the second round, one-four. Previous year, uh, eighteen nineteen, Bucks again best record, forty-three and fourteen. Conference Finals, get two forward by the Raptors. Year before that, Rockets forty-four and thirteen. Conference Finals get three forward by the uh, the Warriors, I believe. So. 
this team that needs to prove something in the in the regular season or at least in the first half to get this like anxiety off of them that like we are good enough and we're going to kill ourselves to prove so i just don't know if that works out that well whenever it gets into playoff time um and utah could prove me wrong but i don't know just the thought i had in the, in the league overall and a lot of the times the teams that are have absurd win rates like that are just like 30 and 0 against teams that are below 500 you know which means they're closer to 500 against the really good teams. And even th- this year, Utah's won, I mean, a lot of games against good teams. But, um, I mean, the big kind of the, the comparison of the 14-15 Hawks and the Bucks. I mean, both those teams have been coached by the same guy. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that's more of like an indictment on him than on the teams. I have no idea. There's also just a lot of good teams in the league, so it's, it's possible to lose to one of them. We saw the Mavs do it all the time. Um, whenever they were – whenever Dirk was arguably the best player in the league um, – but we'll see. You know, I think Utah this year, like, they take, what, 53s a game and they make 23s a game. A game? Like, almost 23s a game they're averaging. Um, and so no one has played, not even the Rockets, were that voluminous from three um, at their height. And so I'm really curious to see how it translates, man. But, I mean, they, they have a great defense. They have a great, great, great offense. Uh, they have two really good playmakers, whereas, like, the Bucks, for example – been very Giannis reliant and that's I think why they traded for Drew Holiday um well the Jazz have Donovan Mitchell and they have Mike Conley so I mean they're kind of like a different team complexion wise than 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 some of the other ones the more recent ones but yeah I mean you know the Mavs went 67 and 15 and maybe they would have won the championship if they would not have played the Warriors in the first round but maybe going 67 and 15 didn't help them when they played against the Warriors either so it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm all for saving yourself for the playoffs, and that's why, you know, things like sitting Luka and KP against the Thunder on the second night of a back-to-back are, are decisions that are made in this era. Yeah, basically, if you're not the Warriors, that hasn't worked out. The sprint through the regular season and try and win every single stinking game, no matter what the circumstance. Um, and I'm not saying, like, try and have a worse record. I'm just saying there's something that comes along with being the, the the lead dog, right? Like some teams are really good at being front runners. And then some teams want expectation and trying to prove that you're as good as everybody kind of gets to them. Um, okay, final two things. Go, or one last thing, one last thing, one last thing. Oh, okay, go, go. In the playoffs, the team with the better player usually wins. And <laughs> in the playoffs, the better player is the one that can score – anywhere on the floor you know all three levels um can you create your own shot from 18 feet you know in the regular season a lot of teams do not shoot mid-rangers utah certainly does not the bucks certainly do not the hawks certainly did not whenever they were winning all their games um the warriors they had kevin durant who could score from anywhere you know and and that's why it's an important leap for luca to make this year in the mid-range in between because it's not always going to be layups and threes in the playoffs and you have to be able to score in, you know, some more creative ways. And, um, you know, I think the Jazz, like Donovan Mitchell might not already be there, but Mike Conley certainly is, and Mitchell could be. So I think they're maybe a little more equipped to win a playoff series than uh, some of these other teams, but we'll see. Yeah, and then the L.A. teams seem like they're bound and determined to get through the regular season without sweating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Basically, they're just like, oh, I kind of over this. Um, yeah. 100%. Can we just get to the playoffs so I can, you know, turn, flip the switch? Um, 
All right, so last two things uh, I've been thinking about for a while. Um, one is more timely. Well, I don't know. Uh, one came to light, I don't know, maybe the last month or so. And we don't do this show every day, so figured I'd bring it up. But Thank I God. This real, <laughs> I think it's just really important um, as a league and as a sports entertainment industry and as a, as a sports media to have people cover the game that you promote and are a part of that just enjoy the game. Let's start there. If you don't like modern basketball or the players or that the players are vocal or on Instagram or, you know, doing the tweets or, you know, whatever they got going on, if you don't if you don't like any part of that, you probably don't need to be working in the thing or covering the thing or one of the primary voices peddling influence about that thing it's very basic but that's that's keep the main thing the main thing and if the main thing is entertainment and or enjoyment of basketball it just drives me nuts whenever some of the leading voices about our game a lot of them are ex-players that want to do uh back in my day walking uphill both ways to school talk um and they just crap all over the way the game's played now and the players that play like couldn't have been this or that back in my day. Um, and it's just getting a little much because the only archetype there is to become main analyst on the primary show that the most people watch is to have wild-ass boomer takes on how basketball happens right now. And even like... There have been some face-to-face situations with, like, Donovan Mitchell, for example, and, like, Shaq, you know? Where he's like, yeah, I don't care if Shaq thinks I'm a good player. Like, my coach thinks I'm great and I'm a superstar. Um, And I think we've just gotten to a point where people try and circumvent actually knowing the game anymore, understanding where the game is evolving, and substituting hot takes because that's entertaining. And it just kind of drives me nuts on a night-to-night basis to, you know, like you're the leading you're the leading voice on this. Like more people pay attention to you than anybody, and you don't seem like you know anything about the game that's happening in front of you, and don't like it, yeah. even even bigger. Yeah, it's a lack so, of it's a lack of appreciation for like the entertainment aspect of the league, and also a lack of respect for the players. Um, I had a conversation with a, a former Mav actually just the other day. Uh, very topical that you brought this up about just we were talking about whatever and uh we we started talking about this season and Top uh shot. he was he was like look i mean the rules have changed and can, you know priorities have changed and so you know the game has changed a lot like it's uh, you know unrecognizable in many ways to even the way it was 10 15 20 years ago uh, certainly longer than that but at the same time, he was like, these players are incredible. <laughs> like, they're, like, incredible athletes. And kind of kind of his point was, like, it doesn't matter whether or not guys play defense anymore. Every single player in the NBA today could also be an NBA player 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Like, they're still world-class basketball players. It's just a different sport. And so it, it feels really – definitely is like back in my day kind of thing but also it's just like dude just like we all know that you were great you're a great player Shaq Charles Barkley Kenny Smith like y'all are awesome 
but like these guys are too. You know, like why do we gotta like why why do you gotta you, you don't no one is forcing you to be that way. You know. Yeah, it's not zero sum. Their yeah. greatness does not negate your greatness. Yeah, and and I'm sure you know there's a bunch of kids that are already like, yeah, Carl Towns is better than Dirk, and it's like, no, he's not. Shut up. But that is just natural too. That's just gonna happen. Mm. Um, you don't have to disparage what's happening now in order to like try and communicate to other people that you were awesome too at what you used to do. It just it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh... I don't know, protecting of legacy. I guess it's like legacy shielding. <laughs> like if I never say anybody that comes forward beyond this is is better than what we did, then it will always just be the best thing that ever happened. And, you know, I don't know. Whenever you get old, I think you definitely start taking shots at <laughs> the next thing if you're not close to and or appreciative of the next thing. And... There are some players that fully embrace it. I love those dudes that just want to kind of like understand the game now and and be a part of it. It's just like we got to stop giving the top influencer positions to the 50-year-old boomer character. You know who's great? Dwayne Wade, Candace Parker, Jim Jackson. Absolutely. Grant Hill. Yeah. Like more of them, please. Yeah, no doubt. I can't believe yes. I just said more of Dwayne Wade. <laughs> you did. I didn't. <laughs> uh, next topic on the rant wheel, something that's like kind of, I think it's not a great look for basketball as a whole. And maybe we haven't really been a part of uh, one of these is former extremely great player that uh, maybe made like five plus all-star games, but the game has clearly outpaced their position or their skill set. And now we're just sitting basketball games for as long as it takes to find a resolution about me not wanting to be here anymore. And that becoming very public, very fast. Like before anything has been done, the agent is, hey, the athletic, hey, whoever it is, let it be known. Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldrich, PJ Tucker, we're splitting up. It's like a, it's turned into like the... What a, what's one of the gossip mags? Like, I don't even know. Dude, it's like um, announcing a breakup on MySpace. It's like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, it very much is. So weird. It very much is. Like, all those, all of them I want to reply and be like, tight, go handle your business. <laughs> Tell me whenever you've been traded. Yeah. Tell me whenever you've been traded or released or whenever there's a resolution. Like, all the other teams know you're available. Like, I think it's just a bad look to go like, hey, if I'm a Spurs fan and Aldrich has been there for like, Man, he's probably been there like seven years now. I don't even know. It's been a long time. I got an Aldrich jersey. Five years. I got an Aldrich poster. I got a uh, my screensaver is probably Aldrich. And because the game has outpaced him and he wants a bigger role now, I got to go through this drama of like just a straight up cut and buyout maybe if the trade doesn't happen. And the Blake Griffin thing was ugly, right? Um, it was just like, well, dude, I don't Andre know, Drummond hasn't played since like Christmas. I mean, he has yeah, he's been Drummond, out for a very long time. Drummond's another one. I just don't know if I like the buyout market that's emerging. Like, I get it. It creates another, like, hot stove type, you know, month or so of our league where guys are like, oh, man, where's this guy going to go once he gets bought out? He's a buyout candidate. If the number one goal is in winning basketball games and, like, the entertainment of the sport and promoting the stars, I'm always going to be, like, not feeling it. 
But this has just been rubbing me the wrong way because there's going to be another one. Like, there's going to be another one. It's going to be some team that's kind of out of it, and they're going to be like, yeah, we're buying out a face of our franchise because <laughs> it's just not working. Like, my God. I mean, it kind of happened here with Dennis. Yeah, you know? no, I was thinking about that as I was bringing that up. It's just... And if the KP trade wouldn't have happened when it did, might have happened yeah. with DeAndre. Might have happened with mm. Wes. You know, I mean, yeah, who knows? I mean, it might have happened prior to that with all of those guys. But we're a franchise that says, that's cool. Let's work something out behind the scenes. Yeah. I don't need your agent to get on a podcast with Shams, you know, and not that that happened. I'm just saying, for instance, uh, I don't, don't, you know, what's this handle? We'll work. We'll do the best we can to get you in a situation where you can play more. Okay. Is that cool? Like we're friends here. Like we're, we work together every day. Like we have a good relationship. Let's keep having a good relationship. Let's work this out. And, I mean, that definitely probably happened with the Barnes deal a couple years ago, right? Like, Harrison wanted to go somewhere. Mm, <laughs> I don't think so. You don't think so? No, you think that was just a no. get what you can get for a big big contract? That was more of a team thing than a, than a Harrison-Barnes thing. Okay. Yeah. I'm just... Uh, there, are, there are things Although, that I mean, now, granted, can, it might have been, like, understood between team and player, like... We're trying to get off this money, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's it, what I'm it wasn't like Harrison was like, "Send me to a good team," because obviously. Oh no, 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 no! That's not that's not what I was saying. <laughs> that was, I'm saying like things can happen that every single media outlet doesn't need to know. Yeah, okay. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, for sure. Like there can be conversations about like, "Hey, man, you know this contract's a problem for us. If we have a chance to get off it, we're gonna take it." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, it um, made sense for him too, because at the time he was approaching the end of his deal and all that stuff. And so it was mm-hmm. like, you know, and that's why communication and trust is important, but you can do that like in the office, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, I, it's, I feel like now you and I are the old back in my day thing, but it's like, <laughs> it's just public opinion now is so overwhelmingly slanted toward favoring players like over teams or management or whatever. To where, like, if a player, player wants movement. out, it's player movement more than anything. They yeah, yeah, yeah. But it used to be it's if a player, player wanted out, they were like a sulking baby. That's how it would be yeah. portrayed. But now it's portrayed as like this is player empowerment. And so, mm-hmm. if agents or players put it out like, "Yeah, get me out of here," then people are going to be like, "Yeah, what he said, you know, get mm-hmm. him out of here." Like, why? Why? What's the holdup? Um, so that that shift has kind of led to to this stuff happening which i, I mean straight I'm up you. buying out i'm not interested in following it at all no negotiating through the media is always like a that's a loser that's a that's seven and nine bs <laughs> and you know what i'm talking about um yeah. but uh getting released in any fashion just straight up bought out and released that's not a good look for anybody <laughs> like i don't know if that's player empowerment well, i don't know I mean, if that's like player if they get to a good team i mean Peja felt empowered yeah. whenever he came to the mavs you know yeah, in theory, but then you're like you're not getting another long term contract after that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's definitely the you, MLS yeah. phase of a soccer star's <laughs> yeah. career. <laughs> I kind of get that reference. <laughs> um, all right, well, that's all I got, man. I just had a lot of stuff to. And I love MLS, by chest. the way. I want to point that out. Dallas till I die. Oh, okay. Here we go. Running it back, taking it back now. So any any um, Paxton Pomacal hot takes from you, Mike, or Jesus Ferreira, or anything? I don't know what you're saying right now. Okay. Who are those guys? 
Next week. Is that next one, week? Is that One Direction? <laughs> well, they're only going up. They're only going One Direction in the table, baby, and that's up, 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 up. Oh, is that my soccer club? Uh, I yes. told you, I'm a, I'm a Leicester City guy. Okay, that's a different country, a different league. But whatever team Ted Lasso runs, I'm, I'm on board with. Okay, that's also a different country and league. But have you watched Ted Lasso yet? No, I don't have Macintosh TV. All right. Jesus, get me out of here! Driving, I'm I'm getting off this podcast and I'm driving to your house and I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> I, I don't believe you. I don't. That's believe what's you. happening. We we right have now. a secure gate, so you you can't get in unless you have a fob. I got all kinds of fobs, buddy. Name them. <laughs> all right, I'm getting off here. Thanks for listening, guys. I don't subscribe or whatever. I don't care. Just just listen to our they stuff. They change it we now. It's you. follow. So follow the podcast on iTunes. Follow and rate and whatever. Just, we're here for you. Talk to you soon.